I really, really did believe that I deserved to be depressed. I deserved to live my life in this way. So I was able for the first time to just kind of blindly be like, okay, I want this for myself. I want to live a better life. I want my life to be worth living. The Your Life Sucks podcast, destigmatizing mental health through discussion. Hi all, welcome back to the podcast. I hope you're having a great week of summer. This is my first full week of summer. I just came back from my weekend trip at Fire Island and I start my volunteership tomorrow, or today, Wednesday, at JQI. So I'm really excited about that. Today, we have a mental health story interview. It's been a while. We have Sadie Sun coming from the Bay Area and she's gonna be speaking about her story with mental health. Sadie has a podcast called She Persisted, available on all platforms, and it is one of my favorite podcasts. I think I started listening to it in November or December of last year. Sadie is such a great host. It is a great production. She is so insightful, and I'm really, really excited for this conversation. Let's get to it. Hi, Sadie. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. Of course. I am really, really good. You know, summer starting, like, I feel the mindset shift. Like, you know, I'm not, like, super tense about, like, ah, I got so much work. Um, so I am, I am really, really good. And like, you're a senior, so, so you're done. I just graduated. Yeah. So it's just kind of taking a break, relaxing, and then getting ready for college. So shopping for dorm room stuff, figuring out my classes for next year, all that kind of stuff. Great. That sounds so great. Let's get started. Awesome. Yeah, so I started struggling with depression and anxiety in my middle school year, somewhere between like sixth, seventh grade. Um, And it really um, came to a head during my eighth grade year. I literally had no idea what was going on. I thought that everyone struggled with a lot of immense sadness and unmotivation and feeling really misunderstood and disconnected, like a lot of shame and self-hatred and all these things. I just thought it was normal. Mm -hmm. And going a step further, if it wasn't normal, I thought, well, this is the normal for me. Like maybe other people don't experience this as their day-to-day reality, but for me, that's just what it's like. And I think that's something that's very common with teen depression, adolescent depression, anxiety, whatever it is, because you've already kind of forgotten a big portion of your life. This, These are the years that are shaping you, like this is your norm. And so you don't have the wide birth of experiences to be like, hey, something's off here. I didn't always feel this way. For you, it's just what your life has always been like. And right. And especially of- for teenagers when like, you know, you feel one emotion and you're like, oh, God, I'm always like this. And like even today, like I'll be, you know, sad one night. It'll be like, oh, my God, I'm always going to be sad. I'm always like this. So, I mean, especially yeah. when, you're, when you're 12 and 13, when, you know, you're super vulnerable. I totally understand that. Yeah, it's kind of a perfect storm because teens are already biologically predisposed to experience their emotions more intensely. They're navigating puberty, you're more hormonal, and on top of that, your brain hasn't fully developed. So your prefrontal cortex, your ability to logically ration through things, make well-rounded decisions isn't fully um, developed. And so when most adults would kind of balance these emotions with this logical, rational side of thinking, teens have not developed that skill. They haven't had a as much experience and biologically they're already at a deficit. So lots of teens are very susceptible to experiencing depression, anxiety, intense emotions, mood swings, whatever it is. And so for me, I just got into a really, really big depression. And so again, I thought it was normal. I 
was really seeing the world through the lens that I was not deserving of love or care or affection or just any of these things. Um, I thought that I would never be good enough for my parents and a lot of other people. And then again, I thought that I was destined to be depressed forever, which mm -hmm. in turn meant that any therapy treatment that I tried wouldn't work. And so being very depressed, my sleep, my diet, my relationships, all of these things suffered. I ended up doing pretty much everything you can imagine locally. I'm from the Bay Area and I tried everything that you could um, from home. I did inpatient treatment um, for a little bit. I was hospitalized a few times. I did intensive outpatient programs. I did um, family therapy. I did individual therapy. I did outpatient DBT therapy. I did group therapy. Like you name it, I tried it. And mm -hmm. my my whole family, my my parents, me, just we were about to really, ask that. Yeah, How we were, were just, they tried everything to try and help me get into a better yeah. headspace. At that point, our relationship struggled a lot because I was so young and I had had so I don't want to say so few life experiences, but I was like, well, this has been my experience my whole life and my parents raised me. So this must be their fault. That was mm -hmm. really, really my mindset. So I had a lot of blame, a lot of anger. I didn't feel like they understood what was going on. Um, I felt really disconnected from them. So our relationship was struggling a lot. That being said, they did anything and everything to try and get me the help that I needed. I remember my mom was picking me up every day halfway through school so I could go to therapy and she was driving me um, hours every week to go and do treatment. They were participating in family therapy. So you name it, they were, they were making an effort. They were doing their best. They wanted me to have a different reality and things still weren't changing. So it came pretty apparent that the only option was going to be to find some higher treatment, whether that was a residential program, a therapeutic boarding school. Um, and What so were your my, symptoms at this time that were so you know, drastic if you're comfortable going into them? Yeah, of course. So I was really, really struggling with self-harm, suicidal ideation. I was super isolated. Um, I wasn't sleeping. I was really, really struggling to eat anything everything was falling apart and so sure. it's it's interesting i did this podcast um interview with this doctor actually from residential which we'll get into and he talked about how when you're struggling with depression your body is kind of in a way i don't think decomposing would be the right term term but it's like mm -hmm. deteriorating sure. all of these things that keep us healthy and thriving as individuals whether it's sleep diet exercise connection they're all falling apart and so you're kind of in a cycle making everything worse and worse and worse, but you, you're you losing your ability to get enough sleep, whether it's insomnia or nightmares, whatever that is. You're struggling to keep yourself fueled with, with a proper nutrition and diet. You are struggling to maintain relationships and connections that as humans keep us healthy and, and um, having a sense of well-being because we're wired for connection. It's a very interesting um, kind of... I don't know what the word is, but it's a loop and it just keeps yeah. making things worse and worse and worse. So I ended up going to a residential program in Boston called Three East at McLean Hospital. I cannot recommend them highly enough. If you are a teen that is struggling with depression and anxiety, severe depression and anxiety, and things aren't working locally, if you are a parent looking for a more intensive treatment option for your teen if they're struggling, highly, highly, highly recommend. This is really what saved my life at this point. What happened was my parents and I, we flew across the country to Boston and we got there and it was this giant brick building. I was very nervous because if you've ever seen the movie Girl Interrupted, um, it's based on this hospital. And also so this, just like the the predetermined image of uh, in your mind that you have of a psych ward is not something that's super 
inviting. So I'm sure you were really scared. Yeah, yeah. And I'd spent time in psych wards at home. So it mm-hmm. wasn't as much that it was the fact that so this hospital, McLean Hospital has been around for over 100 years, like they're right. the, the best of the best they're the number one psychiatric hospital. But with that comes lots and lots of time working in the mental health industry. And as I'm sure, both listeners and you are aware there's been a pretty negative history as far as mental health treatment whether it was Mm -hmm. lobotomies or sticking ice picks up people's noses to try and fix things or just extreme medicating um there's a there's a really dark history there and we're just starting to really take a more compassionate approach have more evidence-based treatments rather than just trial and error but anyways going back to to this hospital um it was once upon a time an asylum and so i was like oh my god where am i going Mm -hmm. i was the 14 at this time um and I was very very nervous and on top of that I just didn't think it would work so there was no motivation to be there to go there to put in this effort so we get there it's just giant brick building my parents and I go in and I'm in this intake meeting with like probably eight to ten doctors they're all sitting around and one of the doctors, um, Dr. Blaze Aguirre, and he came on my podcast. He's amazing. He asked me, do you want to be here? And I said, no, it's my only option. Things weren't working at home. But I, I told him that it wasn't going to work, that I had tried DBT, which was the treatment that I did. And I'll go into more depth on what that is in a minute, um, sure. that I had been doing therapy, that that this is just how I was meant to live and that, no, this wasn't going to work. And so I was so convinced that this was my reality, that I was meant to be depressed, that I was deserving being de- of being depressed. And I looked at these world-class experts in adolescent treatment, these Harvard-affiliated doctors, these Harvard professors, these, these amazingly competent individuals, and said, this isn't going to work. You can't help me. And that's a really, really depressing thing, for back, lack of a better descriptor, mm-hmm. for a 14-year-old to think that their their entire life is is destined to be one of sadness and loneliness. And so he was like, here's the thing. Everyone that you see here wants to be here. This is a voluntary program. If you want to um, be here, if you can see the wisdom in this treatment, if you can trust us enough to help you, you don't have to um, see the full step-by-step process of how things are going to change. You don't have to be um, convinced that tomorrow things are going to be magically different, but you have to see the wisdom in this being possible. That You have to have the emotional investment and the rationale and belief in the, in the facts that this will work, and that's how there will be an actual change. And so DBT, which was the treatment I did, it stands for Dialectical Behavioral Therapy, was developed by a woman named Marsha Linehan. She works out of the University of Washington up in Seattle. Um, and it's an evidence-based treatment for both. Um, it started for really suicidal adults struggling with borderline personality disorder. And yep. it has since been adapted for like dozens of different things, whether it's adolescent depression, adolescent anxiety, adolescent eating disorders, um, self-harming, adults struggling with just depression or anxiety, also BPD, kids struggling with BPD, like so many different applications. And how it works is that there's a kind of a couple different components there's this giant book that they give you and this is a manual of skills education and you pretty much relearn these skills that most people normally use whether it's interpersonal effectiveness mindfulness um emotion regulation um i'm forgetting one i literally teach this on the podcast like every single week (laughs) 
emotion regulation, mindfulness, distress tolerance, interpersonal effect. Distress tolerance is what I was forgetting. So these things that most people can do, whether it's advocating for an objective, it's um, doing deep breathing when you're stressed out. Um, it's distracting yourself when there's a really intense emotion that's causing you distress and then later going back to that emotion and processing through it. When you're really struggling with things like depression and anxiety, you tend to develop some pretty maladaptive coping mechanisms and you do that mm -hmm. because they work. They, they have some emotional success in helping you navigate what you're experiencing, whether that's a substance use, self-harm, suicidal ideation. All of these things are what are keeping people alive. They're helping them cope through these really intense emotions that they're experiencing experiencing. And yet they cause some complications in relationships, well-being, physical health, all of these different things, and they're not sustainable in the long term. So DBT really breaks it down and helps you relearn how to cope with these emotions that you're experiencing and be a lot more effective. So the other parts of DBT is so you have the, the skills education. If you're doing it on an outpatient basis, you have phone coaching. So if at any point you're struggling and you're like, I, I need support, you call your therapist. They walk you through the skills usage. You're doing individual therapy. If you're a teen, you're often times doing family therapy as well. Um, and the last part is that your therapist is working with a team of other therapists and doctors. They're constantly checking in with other individuals on your treatment case, on other teens' treatments to make sure that you are getting the best possible care. I could start to wrap my head around the fact that this was going to work because there's so much clinical evidence saying that it does. It's not that you're walking into a therapist's office and you're like, oh, I hope they can help me talk through this emotion I'm experiencing. Like DBT works in a clinical context. It's proven to decrease depression. It's proven to decrease suicidal ideation. It's proven to decrease self-harm and all these other behaviors that pop up when individuals are struggling. And so that was the rationale that I could wrap my head around. And the other part was the, the emotional buy-in of this working. And so up until this point, I had never want had enough self-compassion to want myself to get better I really really did believe that I deserved to be depressed I deserved to live my life in this way so I was able for the first time to just kind of blindly be like okay I want this for myself I want to live a better life I want my life to be worth living and even if I don't know what that feels like or what that looks like I, I want that for myself. And then I, I started to trust these individuals that wanted to support me, these doctors, these therapists, these social workers. I was like, okay, they're the, the best of the best. And it's, for lack of a better term, stupid to be like, you can't help me because they can. This is what they do. Mm -hmm. They hundreds, if not thousands of teens through this exact situation. And I'm going to trust them. I'm going to want this for myself. And I'm going to allow them to get in my corner and help me navigate through this. And so for the first time, I, I saw the wisdom. I wanted to get better. And that was the huge shift that took place before I was going through the motions of DBT or treatment or therapy, but I didn't believe it would work. I didn't want it to work. And so nothing changed, obviously. And so I was in this program for about 14 weeks and I did tons of skills education. Um, I did lots of group therapy, individual therapy, really just getting on top of those um, basic behaviors, sleep diet, um, relationships, exercise, all of these things that, again, we talked about kind of deteriorating when you're struggling. Right. It was really um, just maintaining those basic habits of living. Um, and over that four-month period, so I was there for 14 weeks, and I came in suicidally depressed. 
Um, I came in struggling with severe depression and anxiety. I would never wake up and not feel depressed. I would never go a day without feeling anxiety. The best way that I've been able to explain it specifically to my dad because he had so much trouble really understanding what I was struggling with because he hadn't experienced depression and anxiety before was this thing called a diary card. So part of DBT, you fill out every day out of like a scale of one to 10, how much depression you're experiencing, how much anxiety, how suicidal you are, and other emotions like shame, anger, crack, your behaviors, you track what skills you use. And so for him, the way he could understand what I was experiencing was that I brought in my diary card and I said, dad, every single day I'm experiencing an eight out of 10 or a nine out of 10 for suicidal ideation. So I'm almost as suicidal as I've ever been in my entire life every single day. I'm in nine out of 10 or a 10 out of 10 for how much depression I'm experiencing. Every day I'm more depressed than I've ever been before. And same thing with anxiety and all these other things that that I was struggling with. And so for him to realize that I was the most depressed that I'd ever felt, the worst that I'd ever felt every single day, that was what kind of got him to understand and that he could wrap his head around that rather than me just being like, yeah, I feel terrible. My life sucks. Like that was what um, what spoke to him. Did you have a close relationship with your dad? Because you keep on mentioning him. Yeah, so it's interesting. My um, my mom is a very, very private person. And so my dad has come on the podcast before and we've kind of brought up these different anecdotes that can kind of give context and explain our relationship. For him, it was such a 180 before he had no idea what depression was. The way that he would try and make, make my emotional turmoil stop was I was sleeping on my parents' floor for, I think, six months because they just didn't trust me to be, be safe and make it through the night in my own mm-hmm. room. And so... They would wake up to start their days and go to work and he would play symphony music um, as loud as the speaker would go in the hope that that would get me out of bed and I would go to school. Um, That was his his best tactic that he could employ. And then after um, doing family therapy and treatment, he was able to validate and understand what I was going through and say, hey, I don't know what you're experiencing, Sadie. I've never, I've never understood what it's like to be depressed, but I see you, um, I hear you, and I appreciate how much pain you're in. And so it was just such a such a 180. Whereas my mom had been very, very invested before that um, in therapy and navigating that journey. But yeah, so I kind of talked about um, diary card wise what my what my life was looking like. And within those four months, I was able to do kind of a complete 180. And that for the first time in years, I was waking up not depressed. I was not struggling with anxiety on a daily basis because I could recognize that while these thoughts were really distressing, they weren't actually like they were valid, but they weren't they weren't real fears. They weren't grounded in fact. And so I was able to understand that I could validate myself in terms of the emotions and the anxiety I was experiencing, but I didn't have to play into it um and and entertain those fears. Um and so Yeah, thoughts are just thoughts. Yeah, and I stopped struggling with um, suicidal ideation. Um, I wasn't self-harming at that point. So all of these things kind of had a complete 180 during this time um, at McLean Hospital. And so after that, I just made all these crazy, crazy changes. I hadn't totally normalized this new reality of not being depressed and anxious and struggling. And so I ended up going to a therapeutic boarding school for the next 14, 15 months in Montana and Mm -hmm. really just sustaining that progress um, and continuing to maintain these habits of living and new new thought patterns um, and the belief that I was 
was deserving of love and that my life didn't have to be one where I was depressed and, and, and building healthy relationships and all of that kind of stuff. And so at that point was when the podcast came into question. I remember when I first started um, at McLean Hospital, my dad was like, Sadie, you should start a podcast. Like, think about how many teens struggle with these things. It would be such an amazing story of growth. Yeah. And he was like, I'll send you a recording device. And I was so angry at my parents, at the world. And I was like, no. And he literally was like talking to all these doctors. Like when we were in that intake meeting, he was like, can she have a recording device? And they were like, sir, no, that is a huge HIPAA violation. Like, no, she cannot record a podcast in this hospital. And so that idea kind of fell off the radar. But a year and a half later, I was like, wow, I knew that all of these adults were telling me that this change was possible, that I didn't have to be depressed. And it's happened. I've built these healthy relationships. I've built this healthy way of living. And I, I love my life. I look forward to things. And that was so foreign to me a year and a half before that. And so I was like, I have done it. I've, I've come out of this depression. I've come out of this struggle. And I, I, if it's possible for me, it's possible for anyone. And so, um, I started the podcast, and I started by which is called She Persisted. You can listen on all platforms. And I started. I already talking. gave you a shout out. Don't worry. Oh, perfect. <laughs> and so I started um, interviewing friends and family members and therapists, and really talking about what it looked like when I was struggling, what we wish we would have done differently, how to support individuals struggling. And from there, it evolved to really just really impactful stories um, of adults, teens, individuals who have struggled with mental health problems and interviewing experts um, and getting their opinions to bring these skills and lifestyle changes that I had to move away from my home for for a year and a half to really digest and to make that a lot more accessible. And I started teaching the DBT skills and sharing my story and just having all of these conversations to educate people that their life doesn't have to necessarily be what it looks like right now and that it is possible for it to look different and guys i know i said this before but it's a really really good podcast it's a <laughs> very very good job so please thank you please check it out after you're done listening to this episode I appreciate it. I spent so much time on it. It's been such a fun passion project for me. And it's something I'm so passionate about. And I've been able to, it's funny when I um, started junior year of high school, when I came home from um, treatment at the, the therapeutic boarding school, I was taking all these like science classes. I was like taking AP chem. I was taking like pre-calc. I was like, I'm going to be a doctor. Oh I was volunteering gosh. at my local hospital. I like really wanted to be a surgeon and through starting the podcast and really just going back and exploring all these different mental health concepts and talking to other teens and adults and having hours and hours. I think I have 66 episodes out now of these discussions. I just was able to discover how passionate I am about this and how much I want to con continue these conversations and help people in a broader way. Um, and so I'm going to be studying psychology at the University of Pennsylvania next year, and I want to become Yay. a clinical psychologist. So through the podcast, I was able to really kind of uncover that passion and, and and have that shift as far as what I wanted to do. But yeah, that's kind of my story and how it led to to what I'm doing now, which is really just talking about my mental health journey and all of these things that I learned around along the way and kind of just trying to t let people know that their life can be worth living. And that is so possible. And there are so many 
tips and tricks that you can implement on a daily basis and sharing those on the podcast rather than just having these abstract discussions of being like, yeah, you don't have to be depressed, but being like, okay, this is going to be your sleep routine. You're going to maintain your connections. You're going to maintain um, your diet. You're going to make sure that you have a, a passion project so that you can continue to be energized. You're going to have healthy relationships, like all of these little things that help us thrive as human beings. But yeah. Thanks, Sadie. Yeah, of course. So just a final question. Yeah. You spoke about this briefly and you speak about it a lot in your podcast, how you have you had trouble sleeping, you know, you still a little bit. What mm-hmm. gets you up in the morning nowadays? Oh, my God. This is such a bad time for this question because my sleep oh, no. schedule is so messed up right now. <laughs> um, but so many, so many different things. Um, so I do want to get up. I love I love waking up every morning. I love living life. It's it's. Not to say that I don't want to wake up, but I'm always like so tired. I'm like, I'm gonna sure, sleep in sure, today. Sure, this sure. is a fun thing for me to do. Senior summer. This is this is a good choice for me. But there's a couple different things um, that I've kind of built into my routine and different internal motivations. Um, the first thing, which is kind of a fun one, is that we have two dogs. They're English cream retrievers, and they're the cutest things I've ever seen in my whole entire life. And they sleep in my room, and they gotta go out in the morning. They have to. They want to go downstairs. They want to say sure hi. Do. They want to play. And so that is one super tiny but very urgent motivator for me to get up um and and walk around and wake up and immediately just be infused with that serotonin and joy and have a smile on my face they're so cute so that's the first thing um which they're they're barking they want to go out and so that's the Mm -hmm. immediate um immediate motivator morning routine wise i have really just kind of leaned into like a little like breakfast moment making my coffee that i love eating food that brings me a lot of joy um, maybe reading a book, scrolling through TikTok, maybe not the most like best, like I'm not going to sit here and be like, yeah, every morning I do 45 minutes of meditation and I write down all my hopes and dreams for the day. I'm like, I'm going to go downstairs, drink my coffee and scroll through TikTok. That's okay. That's as a teenage habit. That's yep. a fun thing. Right. Right. Um, and so it's all about balance. So really leaning into that kind of breakfast morning routine, which is more difficult during the school year when we're all busy, but, Mm -hmm. but that would be the next thing. Um, and then the third thing that I would mention is work. And so I kind of have an interesting, um, work as far as a teenager, which is that I have the podcast and there's lots of meetings and commitments, um, and, and calls to hop on and deadlines for episodes to go up and work to be done. And so, I have to get up and do that. And then I also do a lot of um, social media management for other um, creators and all sorts of different um, individuals and clients. But that's another thing. There's things to be posted. There's works to be done. There's emails to respond to. And I love doing both of those things, the podcast and the the social media management. Um, and so I think I'm I'm bringing that up because during the summer we don't have like school there's not homework um but this is still deadlines things to be done work it energizes me i enjoy it and i think that's something really important is having that sense of purchase purchase purpose and so if you're a student school although sometimes it can feel like it sucks it is so helpful to your mental health to and have we saw that, that over yeah. the pandemic exactly how, like, people had no motivation to get up because they had nowhere mm-hmm. to go 
having that that place to be that you're you're going somewhere you're forced to interact with people all of these things that have positive impacts on your your emotional well-being um and so so during the summer it's really it's really work um and even though that's digital um it's still something that i love doing and i enjoy and i have the creative juices flowing and it makes me happy um so that is really some like three quick things that that get me up in the morning and kind of help me start my day Mm-hmm. And guys, you don't need, I mean, three things is great, but you know, even mm-hmm. if it's one little thing to get yeah. you out of bed, you know, anything, anything to get your blood flowing. And my and, cup of know. coffee is probably the biggest motivator. That's the <laughs> thing that really gets me up and all the other things come, come seconds. So even if it's just a drink you love in the morning, if it's a movie you want to watch when you get up, anything, like I know Monday mornings, I'm like, I want to wake up and go watch John Oliver because that's so much fun for me. Mm-hmm. Um, And so whatever it is that that gets you motivated there's there's no shame or judgment around that it's it's great and it's amazing so Sadie thank you so much for coming on the podcast great conversation and this great advice that you gave us of course of course thank you for having me and if there's any questions or things that weren't answered as far as listeners feel free to send me a dm on instagram at she persisted podcast or you can send me an email um, at inquiries at she persisted podcast.com especially relating to the whole treatment journey i find that people have a lot more kind of like specific questions like my teen is struggling with this what is your advice or they're currently in this headspace what are resources so if you that question popped into your head feel free to send me an email or dm try to make myself pretty accessible and and get back to you as soon as possible you beat me to your shout out (laughs) check out (laughs) at cheapers podcast for everything that sadie just said also check out the your life sucks podcast for more dbt specific skills also you can check out sadie's podcast and her instagram for more on that Guys, I'm also attaching McLean Hospital and more DBT skills and, of course, the She Persisted podcast in today's episode description. Be sure to check those out. We'll see you next time, guys.